Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be together to continue to worship. We've seen this morning how God works and he can accomplish many facets of his will in every event that he orchestrates, as he did in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Before we go into our message this morning, uh, resonated with Alan's story this morning. I spent a good portion of a day last week cleaning service rooms, run several tanks of Roundup and Decamba through the four-wheeler sprayer, and tomorrow is lawnmower and weed eater day because the altars come to our house Tuesday morning. Anyway, it's a different type of audit. It's an appearance audit more than animal welfare. A number of years ago, we did have the American Humane Society choose our farm for an audit, and that was interesting. They audited the farm, ran to the live haul crew, got there, and audited the live haul crew. And you've never seen chickens so tenderly caught and carefully laid in cages and slowly driven out to the truck as you did that day. But when the auditor was at Mount Horb Church, everything was wide open again. So, anyway. so that's the world we live in, and there's... I have to admit there's, I believe, a fair amount of uh, misrepresentation uh, goes on in, in this whole realm of the way things are because our farms aren't always perfect and the live haul crews don't always very gently pick up every chicken, but that's the way it is when the auditor's there. This morning's message, simply titled Romans 2, verses 1 through 11, and we'll pick up uh, our study in the book of Romans. As I was reading in my personal reading this past week uh, from the book of Isaiah, uh, I read a number of passages there that I felt helped me better understand some of what we studied and shared on in uh, the last message where we looked at the last half of Romans chapter 1. And we'll look there at the last half of Romans chapter 1 and then go down and pick up a few verses, go back, pick up a few verses from Isaiah and also from Luke. And I'd like just to share with you some of the thoughts that, that I've been having, some of the things I've been uh, processing and meditating on this week and, and open myself up for your input if you'd agree or disagree uh, on some of the thoughts and conclusions that I've came to in this study uh, in this past week as I was preparing uh, to continue to move forward in the book of Romans. So we noticed last time that in the last half of Romans chapter 1, we notice about God giving people up and giving them over, and it began when they rejected the evidence of, of God's person, of His presence in creation, and God began to allow them to have their foolish minds darkened, their vain imaginations, and it all began because they denied creation and they were not thankful uh, in their foolish hearts. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 42, and I'll just share with you a number of passages from Isaiah that really impressed me this week in relation to God giving up and giving over. Isaiah 42, and we'll drop in at verse 8. Now notice this, what God is saying. I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory, and I will not give to another neither my praise to graven images, 
Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring up, spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice, and the villages that Kadar both inhabit, and the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. So God is saying here, through the prophet Isaiah, that I'm the Lord. That's my name. I'm Jehovah. And my glory I will not give unto another. Neither my praise to graven images. Okay? Let's turn over to 43, verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So God is reminding us here again that he has created everything. He has made us, all human beings, that's what he's talking about there. And it is for God's glory that they were made, they were created. All right, chapter 48, verse 11 of Isaiah. Behold, I have refined thee, verse 10, Behold, I have refined thee, and have not silver, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So God is working in his people's lives. Why? For my own sake, even my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another? Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. He's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call them up, they stand up together. So God is saying, I created the heavens and the earth, and when I spoke the word, it came into being. When I said, planets, earth, moon, stars, stand up. They took their place. And God reminds us again here in verse 11, I will not give my glory unto another. In other words, God will not tolerate His glory being ascribed to another source. All right. Now notice Luke. I'm, I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn to it. Luke 17, verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten lepers, men which stood afar off. And they lift up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When they saw him, they said unto him, He said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were not there ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Jesus said, I have offered healing to ten lepers. Nine chose not to give glory to God, but one came back. And Jesus said, Go. 
thy faith has made thee whole. Revelation 14, 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of the waters. So all these passages we see that God deserves and desires our praise our honor, and our glory. God alone is worthy of praise, honor, and glory. Now, turn with me to Matthew 12. This is a passage that many, if not most Christians, have struggled with to understand. But as I looked at these passages... And as I studied there in the book and read in the book of Isaiah, this passage came to my mind. And I wanted to look at it in relation to God withdrawing His protection from those who choose not to give Him glory. Matthew 12 and verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed of a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch as the blind and dumb saw. And the people were amazed and said, Is this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, Notice this, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom, your children, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. So Jesus is saying, all right. I'm casting out demons or devils out of people. And the Pharisees are ascribing the glory of that to Beelzebub, the prince of demons. They said, oh, he's just doing this. He, he's casting out demons in, in the power of demons. And Jesus responds to that. And he says, no, that doesn't work that way. Because if a kingdom's divided within itself, it's not going to stand. But notice how he said he's doing it. He says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus began his message in the fourth chapter of Matthew, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know that the kingdom has came, and that Jesus was casting out devils by the Spirit of God, because he was operating under the power of God and in the kingdom of God. All right? Now let's continue to read. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. Jesus is saying, you have to bind the power to set free. And he's binding the power how? With the spirit. He is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Now, it's out of this context that we have this next verse or two 
that we've struggled to understand, I think. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world or the world to come. And as we look at this in this context, this verse, these verses came to my mind as I was reading the book of Isaiah, where repeatedly God says in Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. And then Jesus reprimands these Pharisees for giving the glory of casting out demons to Beelzebub instead of the Spirit of God. And he tells them that there is a sin that is beyond forgiveness. So, I'm opening myself up to you after the service or next week or whenever if you want a dialogue on that. But I'm working on that, and I feel like this passage is, is coming alive in my mind in a new way, and more than it has before, that the, un, the unforgivable sin is ascribing glory to Satan that God says should be ascribed, that, that should be ascribed to the Spirit of God and the power of God. Anyway, yeah. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that he was casting out demons. The Pharisees were saying it's by the power of Beelzebub, and Jesus gives them this rebuke. So I'm open to your thoughts on that. All right, let's go to Romans, the second chapter. We looked at the last half of chapter 1, and we noticed there that God has said that He will withdraw His protection for those who, who progressively reject Him. As He is progressively rejected, He will progressively withdraw His protection until a person ends up with a depraved mind, which calls good evil and evil good. And... If we, if we are looking around us in society today and getting upset and wringing our hands about everything that's happening and every decision that's made that seems so foolish and so backward to us, we're always going to be upset because I believe it's going to become progressively worse because once people get to that point, they see good as evil and evil as good. And that's, it is out of that context that they operate. And we would all agree that we are seeing that unfold before our very eyes, just as, as it has unfolded before other generations and other eras. But we see that unfolding before us in a very progressive way today in the public realm and even making its way into uh, professing uh, Christianity. So we come to that. And then we come to chapter 2, and it's, it's a switch. He begins to speak to us in a way that says, all right, now it's time to look into the mirror. You know, James tells us that if we look into the mirror of God's Word and we don't respond to what we see, we're like a person who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he's seen. We need to look in the mirror of God's Word and then begin to speak or allow the Word of God to speak into our own lives. 
And Paul begins here by saying, Therefore, or in light of everything we've just looked at in chapter 1, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever art thou that judgest. For whether thou, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth these same things. And I've wondered a bit, I've tried to study on this. Who all was Paul addressing in this letter? We don't necessarily know that there was a church at Rome. It's not, it doesn't begin by saying to the church at Rome. He's saying, you know, to the believers there in that setting. Were they home churching? Were they just a small group of believers? Had they not organized into an actual church as they had in some other cities? We don't know. Were they primarily Jewish converts that were there? It seems like that he writes quite a bit to challenge them not to rely upon their heritage. So I would say, yes, obviously there were a fairly a large amount of Jewish converts there he was writing to. Were there some Gentile believers among them? Yes, because he challenged them not to get too arrogant because about the branches that were cut off that they could be engrafted in, probably both. But no doubt there was, was somewhat of a Jewish influence here, or maybe a large Jewish influence and he's challenging them, all right, as you're looking at these heathens around you and the deplorable lifestyles that you're seeing, be careful in your evaluation of them. Consider ourselves as well. And I believe that's a good message for each of us today because we live in a society that's not unlike the society in which this letter was written. Look in the mirror. So what are we considering? What are we looking in the mirror for? What are we considering? He says, you're judging these people who are doing these things, but you're doing some of the same things. And what were those things? He says, they were filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, disrespectful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful. He said, that's who they are. And they know the judgment of God, and they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So no doubt some of these people were committing these sins, were living that way, and other people were rubber stamping it and saying, it's all right, go for it. And he's saying, don't judge until you look in the mirror of your own life. Be careful. Be careful and consider your own accountability before God. Romans 3, 9, again, God says this. In the ninth verse, he says, What? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. You see, the book of Romans reminds us repeatedly that outside of, of a righteousness that comes by faith, through the grace and mercy of God, we are all lost. We cannot gain salvation through the merits of genealogy, as the Jewish, some of the Jews thought that they could do. Look in the mirror, he's saying. Matthew 7, verse 5 says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with the judgment that ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with the measure that ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eyes, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or will thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, there is a beam in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, 
And then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So the challenge to us is we must first focus on our own sinfulness, our own carnal nature, and the needs of our own lives before addressing the sins that we perceive to be in the lives of other people. Romans 1, well, I won't go back there. We've already looked at that. We go to Galatians, the sixth chapter, and he says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault or a sin, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And then he gives us the steps on how to do that. Well, he's already given us one. You are to restore, bring back to spiritual victory in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So, in the spirit of meekness, considering we to the same temptations, we all fight the same uh, old nature within us that needs to be crucified daily, hourly, by minute, by minute. And then in verse 2 there in Galatians says, Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's not so much that he's challenging these, these believers at Rome as you look out on this despicable society in which you live. Be careful that you aren't within your spirit and life committing some of the same things and feeling that you're aloof and just judging them and feeling good about yourself. But as we go and look at the passage in the Scripture, how we work together to, to lead each other out of a life of sin into a life of victory, we see it's like a working together. And he says here, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's coming alongside and calling them out and helping them along. Verse 3, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So the call is, yes, they were living in a depraved culture. But be careful the depravity isn't creeping into our lives. Look in the mirror of the Word of God. How are we doing in our personal experience in walking in victory as well? The third verse of Romans chapter 12 says this, For I say through the grace given unto me that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, Romans 12 begins by telling us that we are to give our bodies, soul, and spirit, and body to God in service, led on the altar for a, for a holy and acceptable sacrifice. And then it says we're to be transformed by the renewing of the Spirit, not conformed to the world around us. And in verse 3, it tells us how we ought to think about ourselves. And in verses 4, on down through, it tells us how we're to relate to each other. So what I see here is how that we view ourselves sets the foundation for out of which we have our interpersonal relationships. If we view ourselves as being aloof, to being better, all of that, we're on a shaky foundation to have relationships where we can actually edify and encourage and build each other up. So I see this third verse of Romans 12 as a foundation for working together, edifying each other, helping each other, and being able to speak into the lives of each other 
to help us overcome sin because we need each other. We're in this thing together. Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And again, there in the third verse of Galatians 6, it says, If any man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Basically, if we think we've got it all together, and we're looking in condemnation on all those around us, we are not in a position to bear one another's burdens. We are not in a position to lift each other up as we should. Now back to Romans chapter 2 and verse, verse 2. But we are sure that judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So God is true. God is pure. God is holy through and through. And we know that His judgment is right. His judgment is right. You know, when Jesus was reviled, He reviled not again, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. So when Jesus was being mocked and and all the things that went with his life, the cruelty and, and what he received and the, the false accusations and all that. The scripture says that in his humility, he committed all those insults and all those injuries to God because God knew the hearts of those who were doing it and God could judge it righteously. Now verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same things that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Again, a reminder to think soberly about our own lives. Again, back to Matthew 7. We've already read these verses. Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with the judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. It's sort of a boomerang. It is with the, it is with the attitude and the approach that we judge others. Jesus said, You also will be a judged. With the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Verse 4, O despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And I like that, uh, I like that verse. It's reminding us that it was the mercy and the longsuffering and the grace of God that worked in our lives. When we were without God, when we were without Christ, when we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, when we were far from God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it was through God's mercy and His wooing us through the Spirit of God that we came to God through Jesus Christ. And He's saying, don't forget that. Don't forget how God was so gracious in calling you in and leading you to repentance. Remember that in your life. Talks about remembering in our society today, we talk about people forgetting their grassroots. They forget where they came from and become judgmental of others. Don't forget where we came from in our lives as well. Romans 3 again. I like how Romans keeps uh, tying itself together and reaffirming itself throughout the book. Romans 3. 3 and verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto, unto all, and upon all them who believe there, there is no difference. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's past tense and present tense. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need the grace of God daily. 
The Christian life is a life of repentance and renewal and victory and growing. No, we don't want to live in constant defeat. I'm not saying that at all. But I appreciate the fact that I believe in earlier days of the Anabaptist movement, there was more focus on repentance than what we probably hear today. And I've been challenged on that to focus more and to preach more on the need for repentance. Because we do still come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood and to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So, we are all the same, Jew and Gentile. We have all sinned. We all need this justification and redemption through Jesus Christ, whom God set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood and declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And there we have the word forbearance again. The book of Romans keeps reminding us of the forbearance of God, of His grace, His mercy, His long-suffering, and working in our lives. To declare, I say, that this time His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of them which believe in Him. Whereas boasting then is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without deeds of the law. He is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, or the same faith. So God is there for all. Remember that. The person that you begin to wonder, is there any hope at all? We don't know. But we know this. First Peter, Second Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm happy to hang my hat on this verse. And if God chooses to have those that have rejected Him to the point that they're beyond the wooing of the Spirit of God, that's in God's sovereignty, He has that right. But we should not assume that. We should continue to reach out and offer salvation to those around us. So again, verse 4 is telling us not to forget the mercy and grace of God in leading us to repentance and a new life in Christ. Understanding He can do that for others as well. Now, in verse 5, again, reminder not to become hardened of heart. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the, judge, of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. He's saying when it's all said and done, God will render to every person according to the life that they have lived. A righteousness by faith, a rejection of God, or an attempt to live by the law and still rejecting salvation through Jesus Christ. God will judge according to the lives that we have lived. And now he tells us about the two different types that God will, reach, will judge in different ways. Verse 7, To them by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, and eternal life. It's, I'll read us another translation. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
those who seek God, those whose lives are dedicated to discipleship in the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking to do God's will, God will meet them and give them immortality, immortality and eternal life. Contrast, verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath will come upon their lives. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil to the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Paul is saying, my dear Jewish brothers and sisters, if we choose to reject the plan of God, a righteousness that comes by faith, a pursuing Him, a life of discipleship, a life of servitude in serving God and following the direction of the Spirit, there will be difficulty. Sin brings difficulty. The way of the transgressor is hard, according to the book of Proverbs, and it is. The, the small amount of pleasure that comes from sin at the onset is simply a deception that doesn't show the end result. And as I said in the last message, sin always has diminishing returns. What fun it was this time, it'll be less fun the next time. That's why people pursue pursue sin in a greater and greater and in deeper and deeper depravity to try to get that, get that thrill again, not knowing that the bondage is going deeper and deeper because sin always has diminishing returns. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doth evil, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Verse 10, praise God. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Isn't that beautiful that after all these warnings about where it goes when we reject God. He says, but dear people, Jew and Gentile alike, you can live a life where there's glory and honor and peace and goodness and joy and everything else that's not listed here. Verse 11 says, for there is no respecter, of, or God is not no respecter of persons. In other words, we are all one. We're all in the same place with God. We're all created equal. In God, there is no class. There is no uh, rank. There is no ethnic groups. There is nothing that, that separates. God does not show favoritism. Everyone is welcome. Now we see advertisements for employment in newspaper or wherever, and it says, equal opportunity employer. Everyone who comes has equal opportunity to move up the ladder, to be part of this organization. Well, God has been there for 6,000 years. God is an equal opportunity God. Jesus is an equal opportunity Savior. The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity force that will come into the lives of whosoever will surrender themselves, come to the foot of cross in repentance, contrition, and seek that life of service. And God will give them peace, joy, glory, in immortality. So let's not give up. Let's keep serving faithfully in our own lives. Let's keep reaching out because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We have a song.